huge blessing. And I appreciate that. Thank you. What a joy to have all of you with us, really. You know, it's a... Uh, we just serve a really good God who's good to us through his people. Amen? All right, so I've got a question for you. How many of you are good at playing the long game? Let me explain that. My wife and I were sitting recently and having a conversation. I won't tell you what the conversation was specifically about because that's between her and me. But she said something. She said, I got what I always wanted. And I was like, wait a minute. You're playing the long game. And I don't think she intentionally was, but what I mean by that is we had a discussion when we first got married or even before we got married about something, and we were a little bit opposed, it's not a big deal, about how we wanted that thing to turn out. And she, after almost 20 years of marriage, got exactly what she wanted. See, there's two different kinds of people. There are people who want immediate gratification. You get a vision for what could be. You, you rush into it. You try to get it done. But five minutes later, if it's not working out like you thought, you abandon your plans, right? How many of you are like that? Just be honest. Raise your hand. You're immediate gratification people. Oh, come on. There are a lot more honest people in the early service. By the way, if you're watching online, you can be honest too. You can expose your desire to get things done quickly by just saying, that's me. Or how many of you are the long game people? You're patient. You'll wait it out. You'll let other people think they're winning for a while. You'll, you'll, you'll maneuver stuff. You might even forget about it for a little while. Not really forget about it, but like later you're like, yeah, I got it. You're those people. You'll wait it out until you get what you want. How many of you are like that? And some of you are just afraid to raise your hands. You don't want to be identified either way. You know, there's a, there's a, a story of this group of s- snipers in World War II, they were Russian women snipers. It was a whole unit. And they were the most deadly sniper, sniper unit in all of World War II. And they, 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 they tried to figure out what made them so effective at their jobs. And it was simply because they were willing to outweigh everybody. There were stories of them being in a tree, literally in a tree for three days straight. I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't wait around for three hours, right? And these ladies were so patient. They'd wait in a tree for three. They were willing to soil themselves to get the kill. You know what I'm saying? Like, anybody ever, anybody, you know, don't raise your hand. Anybody married to somebody like that? Like, they'll wait you out to get the kill. They pl- people are willing to play the long game. We are going to talk about how God not Russian women snipers, but how God is willing to play the long game because he sees the outcome and he's willing to invest his time and his resources in seeing his kingdom come into our lives. We're in the middle of a series on covenant where we're talking about how God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And one of the ways he shows that to us is by his willingness to play the long game. So we've talked about uh, Adam and how God made covenant with Adam to extend his authority in the earth. We talked about Noah and how God made covenant with Noah that he would no longer destroy the earth and he continued his authority through Noah. We talked about Abraham and how God called out a people through Abraham and through his seed. And today we're going to land in on the Mosaic covenant, not Mosaic tiles like in your bathroom, but the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God made with his people through and with his leader, Moses. 
And we're going to see how God is going to continue this long game plan to see His will done in the earth. We're going to see how God pulls His people, His seed, Abraham's seed, according to His promise. Remember when we talked about Abraham, He said you're going to be in Egypt for 400 years. And then God's going to release you. We're going to see how God continues to bring his people into his plans. And so as we get ready to look at this, let's just kind of land historically where we're at. People of Israel had moved into, according to God's goodness, Egypt so he could sustain them. When there's a famine in the land, they grew in number, but they became oppressed as slaves. And for 400 years they were in Egypt until God set them free. He set them free through the plagues. We've all seen the movie, right? At least one of the movies, the cartoon version or the old version. We've seen the movie. God sets them free. They go through the Red Sea. God destroys the pursuing army, and he brings them into the desert, and he wants to create in them a people. And so he calls them to Mount Sinai. And the people of God meet with God there. And listen, when you're talking about the Mosaic Covenant, you can talk about this not for just a sermon or not just a series, not even a year. You could spend the next five decades unpacking the Mosaic Covenant. In fact, there's a whole group of people, the Jewish people, who base their entire interaction with God on the Mosaic Covenant. This is where they live. This is what they study. We could spend a ton of time on this, and we're not going to do that this morning. Everybody's like, great, because i got something to get to this afternoon. I promise I won't unpack the entire Mosaic Covenant. But I want to focus on a part that comes up right away, and we're going to see how God is faithful to his long game in the midst of it. So turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to focus here this morning, and then jump and see how God in the end is still after the same thing. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, it says this. This is God speaking to Moses for the people. He says, Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. That is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Notice, God is saying, listen, I'm extending my authority through the earth with you, right? He says the whole earth belongs to me. But what is he asking for? What is the phrase that, he, that we're going to center on today? It's he says, I want to make you my kingdom of priests. He's looking for a people who are part of his kingdom, who know his presence. It's important to note that in the series of covenants that we've talked about, up till now, these covenants have not been conditional. In other words, God says, I'm going to do this whether you do it or not. He invites certainly the people that he makes covenant into to act a certain way, but he says, I'm going to keep my covenant to you, and he has certainly throughout. But this is the first time we see a conditional covenant where he says, if you will obey, if you will keep my commands, then you will be, and I will do. But understand this, this is not a covenant where God is willing to give up control of special status of his people. That's already been confirmed with Abraham. In other words, the covenant is not conditional for salvation upon, or upon them being his own special people on their behavior. The part of the covenant that's conditional is conditional in function. In other words, I'm going to bless you above others if you do this. I'm going to give you my authority and my presence to extend in the earth in a very unique and a very special way as my kingdom of priests if you will obey. 
Note this though, whether it's conditional or not, God is always faithful to his covenants even when we're not. Even when covenants are conditional, he's faithful. Even when we fail our end of the conditional covenant, he is faithful. He is faithful to salvation and he's faithful to function. So let's pick up the account and see what happens when God gives this offer to his people. Moses takes the message that God gives him and he delivers it to the people. And we see in Exodus chapter 19, verse 8, the people's response. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And so Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. This is like them giving an agreement to the covenant before they saw the terms of the covenant. Have you ever tried to like, like buy something, order something, pay for something before you really knew what you were getting into? And then when you got it, you're like, I don't know if this is actually what I ordered. We should have all had that experience over the last year. Amazon, sometimes you don't get what you ordered. Right? I thought this was bigger. I thought this was smaller. I thought it did this. you got to read the fine print. Well, Moses comes back to the people. He says, listen, God's offering us this. Would you like to do it? And the people wholeheartedly, enthusiastically say, yes, we will do whatever the Lord commands us to do. We will walk with him in that way. And then God does this, verse 18, chapter 19. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. And the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. And as the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. In other words, Moses gives the people the opportunity. They respond, and Moses takes the answer back to the Lord. And as Moses ascends the mountain to go to the Lord, what happens? Fire and smoke and shaking. The awesome presence of God descends on the mountain. Now, I watched a few years ago this uh, documentary where they were trying to find where these places were, where they crossed the Red Sea and where they came to Mount Sinai, and they've actually found a mountain, and I don't know if this is accurate or true or whatever, they found a mountain in the Sinai Peninsula where it's bounded off by like natural stone markers, and the top of the mountain is completely blackened and charred. Like you can, you can take the rocks and you can split them in half and it's the natural color on the inside, but the top of the mountain is charred. And they don't know why, and it's been that way for centuries. And so this awesome presence of God comes, and Moses speaks to God in that place. He says, the people said yes, and so God gives him the terms of the covenant. He literally gives them the Ten Commandments and other uh, things that the rules that the people should abide by to walk in the covenant. And here is the response of the people. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 20. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And what did they say? They said to Moses, verse 19, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. God has invited them in to be a kingdom of priests, to be like priests... Uh, know the presence of God. They minister in the presence of God. They were called to be God's special people and in God's heart and in his mind, he wanted to walk with each of them individually. But when the presence of God came, it was so awesome to them that they did what we have done for generations. They pushed their priesthood off onto somebody else. They said, Moses, you priest for us. We are afraid to do it ourselves. But the truth is this. We can look at the people and say, you fools, why did you do that? But we do it all the time. 
Whenever we are called to, to live in the presence of God, whenever we're awake and God's calling us to himself and we'd rather do something else than listen to God, we push our priesthood off. Whenever we try to give responsibility for our spiritual uh, walk with God, maybe even to a church, we say, listen, my walk with God would be better if my church served me better, if the presence of God was more powerful in the service, we push our priesthood off. We can have as much presence of God as we are willing to desire and to ask God for. It's all open to us. We push our priesthood off when we live in our, in our jobs or in our neighborhoods and we refuse to be the kingdom of priests and to represent God like he's called us to in that place. And we keep our mouth shut when we have the resources and the, the, the kingdom of God within us and among us and we don't share it with people, we push our priesthood off. So we can look at the people and say, you had this opportunity, you could have walked with God, but you didn't do it. But the truth is we are just like them Often, And the entire point of this message is that we would become the people of God and be willing to walk with Him in what He has done for us and be the kingdom of priests that He's called us to. And it starts with not pushing our priesthood onto somebody else. When we, one more example. When we expect our spouse to set the spiritual tenor of the home, we abdicate our priesthood. Whether we're husband or wife, we can be the ones God has called us to be. We are called to be kings and priests in the earth to represent God. And so they push the priesthood off. God appoints Aaron's family as the priests. And the rest of the Old Testament is a story of the struggle that this nation has with being the kings and priests that God has called them to be. But remember, God plays the long game. See, God is looking, always has been, all throughout Scripture, and even now, is building a kingdom of priests, representing his rule in the earth, representing his presence and his authority and his goodness and his resources. Now, throughout the Old Testament, there's been some bright spots. Even for Moses, when God was about to send the people into the land without him, without his presence, Moses said, don't send us if you don't go with us. David was known as a man after God's own heart, and we'll talk about, Lord willing, next week, his covenant with God was a bright spot, but as, as a people, by and large, the story was that they dropped the ball in being kings and priests. The good news is this. Even when we drop the ball, God remains faithful to his covenant. God is remaining faithful to his people, Israel. He has not cut them off. God remains faithful to you and I, the Gentiles who have been grafted in to this covenant. He is faithful to create a kingdom of priests. Because while we're screwing it up, along comes Jesus. In fact, if you look with me in 1 Peter 2.9, it says this. This is Peter who experienced through Jesus a revival of this. He says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. Does the language sound familiar from what God was looking for thousands of years before? Exactly. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He has called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. God has done something in Jesus Christ to bring us into the place where we are not like that. We don't live in our sinful nature. We don't push our priesthood off. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have become a kingdom of priests. We are not like that. Look at what it says, because it's not just... In Peter, it's all over actually the book of Revelation. 
The book of Revelation that describes how God wraps up human history, how Jesus Christ comes and brings about the kingdom and the will of God fully on the earth. What we see in it is that it is this idea of a kingdom of priests is all throughout Revelation. In terms of salvation, Revelation 1, 5-6, through and from Jesus Christ, He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all kings of the world. There's that authority piece again. All glory to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding His blood for us. What has He done because of that? He has made us a kingdom of priests for God His Father. All glory to Him forever and ever. Amen. God is willing to play the long game. It's not just in terms of salvation. It's also in terms of authority. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 9-10. through 10. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals open, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed the people of, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. That's really good news. We should be a lot more excited about what we just read because we are kings and priests in his kingdom. He is making a kingdom of priests out of us. It wasn't just the people of Abraham's seed, but from every nation and tribe and tongue, God has called us to be his kingdom of priests. In fact, both of these are salvation and authority are wrapped up in Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him a thousand years. God is willing to play the long game. So how do we live this out? Want to talk about it? All right, for the two of you that are willing, we're going to go ahead. Everybody else can just kind of walk with us. You guys are really quiet this morning. Am I talking too fast? Are you afraid that I'm going to like set you up and then like switch and like this is all really good. How about we learn how to live it out? You want to learn how to live it out? Great. We got some scripture that will lead us there. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is an incredible treatise on the lack of power of the first priesthood, of the priesthood of the Mosaic covenant to effectively live this out for all time. In other words, God set up, when the people pushed off their priesthood, God set up a people, a priesthood, in the the form of Aaron's sons, who would lead the people in this way. But Hebrews chapter 10 kind of highlights how that wasn't enough. In fact, chapter 10 verse 1 says this. Then he said, or sorry, the old system, under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, that old system of priesthood was a way to look at it. It was good, but it wasn't enough. And it's really important that we understand that to understand completely what Jesus has done for us because Hebrews 10 is not just a treatise on the way that the old system was not enough. It's actually a great expounding upon how what Jesus has done for us is absolutely enough. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10 says this, Then he said, Look, I have come, Jesus, I have come to do your will. And he cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. What's the name of this church? 
New Covenant Church. That's what we're talking about here. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. In other words, in the old system, they would make sacrifices year after year, day after day, that would cover the people, but they were just a covering for a time. And Jesus Christ came into the system where we failed, and He was God's faithfulness to us to be once and for all the sacrifice that would allow us to step into the role that God has given us as a kingdom of priests. Man, I'm preaching better than you're responding. I'm going to go home and pray and see if God's called me to be a preacher. Can you work with me? What do we need? Do we need to stand up and jump around? The early service was ready to go. I'm comparing you guys. You're not supposed to do that, but I'm comparing you guys. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is good stuff. Even if you heard it in the other service, say, this is really good stuff. Maybe I need to. It's me. I'll just say it's me. I'll wake up. Ready? What, God, what Jesus Christ has done for us ushers us into this new reality. Hebrews 10.18 says this, And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. Amen. That's the good stuff. Come on. And listen to this. Hebrews 10.12, But our high priest. If there's a high priest, what does that mean? There's other priests, right? Offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, Good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. we got to catch this. This is really important. In a kingdom, right? We're a kingdom of priests. In a kingdom, the place of favor, the place of anointing, the place of influence, the place of power is at the right hand of the king. Jesus Christ did everything necessary. The power of his sacrifice got us in. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of authority to make this kingdom of priests a reality. But you know what Scripture also says? It says we are seated with him in heavenly places. So I want you to imagine God the Father sitting here on the throne. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is sitting next to him. They talk to each other all the time. He's like, like, hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I mean, they know what they're not passive-aggressive. That's the wrong way. Hey, Hey, how about we do this? Yeah, and how about we do this also? Maybe that's how it goes. But I want you to see something. You're also seated right here with Jesus. And he leans over to you and says, hey, what do you want to do? And we can say, I don't know. What do you want to do? Or we can say, you've put this on my heart. Let's talk about how we can be the kingdom of priests in the earth. You have a place of authority and favor. And it's sometimes we reject that because we don't know what a place of power it is. Let me illustrate it real quick. Because sometimes we think we need to work up to it. Sometimes we, we think we need to do something. Sometimes we think the sacrifice of Jesus was enough. I have to prove my worth and goodness for God to listen to me. That is not how it works. Last uh, night, we picked our kids up from my parents' house. We had spent a, a day away, Lori and I, a night away. And we picked them up, and it was extended a little bit later. So we picked them up at night. We were coming home. We were just going to you know, get washed up and get to bed so we could be here ready for church in the morning. And as soon as we got in the car, my daughter said, Hey, Dad, can we have ice cream? And she said, let's celebrate being together because we haven't been together for an entire day. She said, let's celebrate the first day of spring. And she came up with like four or five things that we needed to do to celebrate. By, and, and the way to do that was having ice cream. Well, what she didn't know was when she first said, hey, can we have ice cream? She's got the place of honor at my right hand. She was sitting in the back of the car, but she's right next to me. You know what I'm saying? 
She's got that place of influence. My heart is to bless her. So as soon as she said it, I decided what we were going to do. But she kept talking and talking and asking. And after she gave me all the reasons, she's like, Dad, can we go for ice cream? I said, babe, don't ask anymore. I got this. I didn't tell her what we were doing. I just wanted her to trust me. And we, we because I already decided, we went to the, to the ice cream emporium. The most affordable, economical, and easily accessible ice cream there is. McDonald's. I mean, like, like, I'm a good dad, but I'm not that good all the time. You know what I'm saying? And we got, we got hot fudge Sundays. But what was great is as soon as we pulled in, all the kids that were in the car, even to my youngest, were like, thank you, Dad, thank you, Dad, thank you, Dad. They recognized that they had a place of influence in my life. We have a place of influence with God that we don't recognize the power of sometimes. He's saying, hey, what do you want to do? How do you want to live this out? You're kings and priests. You've got access to all the authority. So if you want spiritual ice cream, let's do spiritual ice cream. Because what we also don't realize is that when we have this relationship with God, we access the kingdom of God, others get benefit from it. My kids who are in the car got benefit of my daughter's right hand authority and influence. My son who wasn't even with us got the benefit of it because we got something for him. It's a place of unmerited favor that God has placed us in, and it's good. Hebrews 10.14 says this, by that one offering, what Jesus Christ has done for us, in case you're wondering if you have to earn it, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Catch this. He for, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. You know what that means? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're perfect. We have a hard time with that, don't we? Because we know Right, As far as Jesus Christ is concerned, because of what Jesus Christ did, as far as the Father's concerned, we are perfect. That's hard because we know that there's some stuff that's not perfect yet. There's room for that in the Scripture. He has made perfect that which is being made holy, being made set aside. Right? Say, turn to your neighbor and say, you're being made holy. The truth is the person sitting next to you is probably God's instrument to make you holy. Think about that for a minute. And so God's saying, listen, the standard is perfect. Am I telling you you have to be perfect? No, relax, but let's at least cooperate with God in the understanding that he's made us perfect and he's growing us into that by making us holy. We are becoming the kingdom of priests. See, we've got to take on the identity that God has given us as, king, as kings and priests in the kingdom. It's an identity thing. Some of us are fighting with that identity. You're like, I, I can't see myself that way because I know my brokenness, because I don't think I have the power. But the thing is, we've got to settle in our minds that it has nothing to do with proving our goodness and authority to God. It's simply what he has done for us. And if we will cooperate with him, with the salvation thing settled, with the presence thing settled, then he will continue to give us all the resources of the kingdom to carry out his will in our lives so that we can effectively be the kingdom of priests that he wants us to be to demonstrate his goodness in the earth and so this is how we do it look at verse 19 and so dear brothers and sisters we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of jesus we don't have to be fearful like the people were 
And by his death, Jesus opened, listen, a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. What they're describing is when God set up the rules of worship into the Mosaic Covenant, he set up this place called the Holy of Holies that only one person was allowed to go in once a year, and they had to be absolutely perfect. They had to do all the ceremony right to come into God's presence. And what Scripture says is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice was so good that he set up a way not only for us to go in there with fear and trembling, but it's a life, a new and a life life-giving way, a new and a life-giving way to come into his presence and to experience what it's like to be his kingdom of priests. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, priests, authority, see, he's our access. Here's what we can do. I'm going to read a couple verses, 10 through, or sorry, 10, uh, 22 through 25. And I want you to notice there's four things in here that God tells us that priests ought to do, that we are able to do, that he's empowered us to do because of what he's done for us. And they're all following a phrase that says let us. So notice, every time you see let us, that's where we're going to talk, not let us like what you eat, but let us, like L-E-T-U-S. Every time we see that, you're going to see a role that God's given us as priests in his kingdom. Verse 22, let us Remember, because of what Jesus has done, let us go into the, right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That phrase, let us, is not a phrase in the Greek that's all by itself. It's attached to each one of the verbs. But in the tense that it's there, it basically is saying all of us together have two things, permission and community to live this out. God is not looking for a king and a priest. He's looking for a kingdom of priests, those who operate in his authority, permission, and those who operate together, community. Don't miss this. We can't be kings and priests by ourselves. No one's asking you to walk into your home and say, I'm the king and I'm the priest. We are called to be a kingdom of priests together. Ruling in authority and ministering the kingdom in the presence of God together. And so he says, let us, number one, enjoy God's presence. Priests enjoy God's presence. Let us go right into the presence of God, Scripture says. It's like going from terrified and afraid and we're not worthy, to I absolutely desire and know that I belong in the presence of God. In the Greek, that, that let us go right into the presence of God is to come unto, to worship, to be rooted and established. Listen, it's about identity. God's presence is open to us. We can fully trust Him. 
We don't have to have a guilty conscience that keeps us from his presence. How many times have we not gone to God because our conscience is guilty? That's absolutely a lie from the enemy. God has dealt with all that in Jesus Christ. And every time that comes up, we can say, no, my conscience is not guilty. I can come before the Lord and he can cleanse me because he's done it. He's washed me in my soul. Scripture says it even affects our body. Our bodies have been washed. Turn to your neighbor and say, your body's been washed. You tell him, you look good today. You smell good today. So what are the actions of presence? The actions of presence are prayer, fasting, and worship. Listen, we ought to be in constant prayer with the one who listens. We're, remember, we're seated right here with him, talking to the Father about what it looks like. We get to bring heaven to earth in how we pray. We ought to be fanatical worshipers. Like if we really value the presence of God, we should be the first in this place. We should be the first to the front. We should be going after God. When we wake up in the morning, his praise should be on our hearts and in our lips. Listen, as, as the one that God has called to lead in this place, I never want to be out-worshipped by you. And it, there's a danger in saying this, but roll with me for a second. I want to get into a healthy worship competition with you. Like, not, not because we prove our worth before the Lord, but because he's worthy of anything we could possibly give. Right? He's worthy of fanatic, loud, exuberant praise. We should, when we come into this place, we should explode with that. Anytime we, we're walking around, we should come into his presence. Two, priests hold tight. What do I mean by that? Scripture says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. It's from being instructed. The, the, the Mosaic Covenant was a lot of rules to the, to, the, to the covenant being written on our hearts. That's what God said. I'm going to write it on their hearts. You don't have to learn a bunch of rules. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was a bunch of don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. And people still preach the kingdom of God is a bunch of rules of what not to do. The kingdom of God is not a bunch of rules of what not to do. It's actually rules of what we can do. Take, priests are tenacious in their faith. They, they, the Greek word there is to hold back, to hold down and to restrain. We're supposed to lock down our faith. We're not supposed to be fickle back and forth. This holding tightly is not just in our minds. It's literally an action. It's not passive. It's about taking action on what we hope for. It's about taking the prophetic promise that God has given us and actually acting out like he's really going to do what he said he's going to do. Faith without works is dead. James says. It's not even real faith. God can be trusted to keep his promises, but it's time for us as, kingdom, as a kingdom of priests to actually act like he means it. If God says it, says I can have it, then I'm going to go after it. If God says he wants to do it, what is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is that everybody who you know is saved. God's will is all of your family, all of your co-workers, all of your neighbors, all of your fellow students, everyone that's in your authority, and everybody who's not within your authority. God's will is that they come to salvation. So if that's his will, and that's his power, as a kingdom of priests, we should be willing to extend that wherever we go. We push our priesthood off when we're not willing to, with all of the kingdom that he's given us, to hold tightly to that, to actually do something about it, to believe in faith, and to act on that faith. Priests hold tightly. Number three, priests lead. How do, they, how do priests lead? Priests lead by serving. 
Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It's from, again, what we can't do to what we can do. It's not don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's focus on what you're able to do. What are we able to do? To motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This is literally the description of the greatest leaders in the earth. The greatest leaders in the earth are willing to serve other people. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are God's masterpiece and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What does that look like practically? To motivate one another with our words and our actions. Priests get to motivate one another. Do you know that God has promised that we can have his word to deliver to somebody in season? Uh, Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 or 5 says that he will give us words in season. He'll wake us up morning by morning with a word to give to those who are weary. That he's given us a learned tongue and ears that, like a learned person. In other words, if you've ever struggled and say, I'm not college material, you don't have to be. God will give you what you need on your lips so that the word goes right into people's hearts. He'll give you an ear to hear prophetic things so you can deliver the word to them. So that we can motivate one another. We can encourage one another to good works through our words, but also through our actions. It's about leading with excellence. God's called us to lead others with excellence. This word in the Greek to uh, think of ways to motivate one another literally means to consider, to understand, to perceive, to observe fully, to discover, to attentively fix one's eyes and mind on. In other words, have you ever like failed to do something that you should have done and somebody pointed it out to you and you're like, well, I didn't really think of it, so why are you bothering me? Like, get, leave me alone. Like, my heart's in the right place. I just didn't think about it. We don't have an excuse. In God, as his priests, we have the opportunity to think of, to lock down, to fixate on, to get what's on his heart and his mind. We can't walk away from this. We literally have the freedom and the responsibility and the ability to figure out what's on his mind and to deliver it to people. We've got to stop pushing our priesthood off and saying, well, I didn't really think about it. No, we get to think about it. We get to meditate on it and give ourselves to it. And one of the ways we do that is by leading with excellence, thinking about ways to do the very best we can. What does excellence mean? Serving with excellence is doing the very best we can with what we've got with an eye towards growth. What do I mean by that? Most of us are okay with excellence being, hey, I did the very best I could. What more do you want, right? How many of you ever said that? Like, I did the best I could. What, what, what more can I do? The truth is this. In God's kingdom, if we do the very best we can with what we have, he gives us more. But a lot of us are avoiding excellence because we don't want more. We think that more comes with... Someone's with me. Come on. We think that more comes with more responsibility and more work. And we're tired of doing work, right? But the truth is this. In the kingdom, if we do it with excellence, we get more. But with the more to do comes more resource and more favor and more grace and more power. So we ought to be willing to do very excellent work to serve one another because we expect that God will give us more and he'll give us everything else we need. We should be the kind of people that say, we've got a king that got, has all the energy, all the resources, all the money, all the words, all the encouragement, and we should be generous in giving it away with excellence because we know that God will always back up his word and he'll always give us enough we're not afraid of more because we know we have a good God who gives good gifts it's not about being in charge it's about serving with authority and the last thing is this if the worship team would come priests gather priests gather God in 
bringing his people out of Egypt was bringing them out of slavery, out of slaves with no purpose. He was bringing them together to be a nation gathered with a purpose. What was the purpose in their gathering? To display the goodness of God in the earth. God has called us from an identity as orphans, from being all out on our own, from not having a family, to being in the family of God, to having an identity, to knowing that we belong, and knowing that God has called us together. But how many of you know you need to get together every once in a while with your family to remember who you are? Do you ever forget who you are? Like, uh, like spiritually, like you forget what it means to be a Hamlin. I mean, like, I forget what it means to be a Hamlin. Do you know what I'm saying? You forget what it means. And when you get together with your family, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. God made us crazy this way. God has called us to gather together. And before you think I'm going to get on my soapbox and talk about never closing the church down again, this is what I'm talking about. It's not about our freedoms as Americans. It's about our freedoms as the people of God. In other words, if we settle for the freedom that we have as Americans, we've put the bar too low. In the book of Acts, there were several times that the apostles were put into literal prison. One time, Peter was put into prison, and he, he had what he thought was a vision of an angel coming. He was literally between two soldiers. The angel unlocked him, kept everybody asleep, unlocked the doors. He walked out. He, he, he finds himself outside of the gates of the prison, I think, of the city. And Scripture says he realizes that it wasn't a, a vision. It wasn't a dream. It was reality. He goes, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to go enter into kingdom work. That was one way that God set his apostles free. But there was another time that Paul and Silas were in jail. And they were worshiping the Lord, and there was an earthquake, and the jail cell flew open and the chains fell off, and they did not find themselves outside the gate. In fact, the, the, the guard came in, the man who ran the prison came in, he said, hey, we're still all here because God had some kingdom work to do there, and God saved that man's family, and God did his work through that. What I'm saying is this, whether we're in jail or we're out of jail, whether we're gathered together or the government says we can't, the truth is this, as the people of God, we are free, and our freedom and our rights come as priests, as a kingdom of priests. And so it, it really doesn't matter what the government tells us to do. If they tell us we can't meet in large groups, we'll meet in small groups and we'll be free and the kingdom of God will go forward. If they tell us that we can gather in large groups, we'll gather in large groups and the kingdom of God will be here and we will see the kingdom of God move forward. It's not about our freedoms as Americans. It's about the freedom that we have in Christ. And the truth is this. In Christ Jesus, we are all the way free. And so what do we do? We gather, whether it's in large groups or small groups, in our homes, in this church, we gather. We do not stop gathering together. If you're watching us online, we're glad you're here. But there's nothing like being together with the people of God. So come and worship with us. Make your homes a place of worship. Make your job and your desk a place of worship. Make your bedroom a place of worship. We are called to gather the people of God together as priests and kings to remind ourselves of the identity that we have in both. Because the truth is this, we forget who we are. We forget that God has made us a kingdom of priests. But God's playing the long game. He's playing the long game from the very beginning to the very end. He is building us as a kingdom of priests. Why? To show and display his goodness and his glory in the earth. His return is near. 
Scripture says we should do this because his return is near. We don't have the luxury to forget who we are. Now, some of you would say, hey, listen, we've been waiting for Jesus to return for 2,000 years, so what's the difference? Listen, it's at least nearer than it was yesterday, right? And so let's remember who God has called us to be because he's coming back to make it happen, but we get to live like it now. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? Let's respond to the word. If you are here this morning, And you don't know what it's like to surrender your life to Christ. You've never done that before. You've never agreed to enter into this kingdom. You've never agreed to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never said yes to his offer of salvation through his blood like what we talked about. If you've never done that before, maybe you're watching online, you've never done that. I want to ask you to, to make a bold step. So I know you're here, so I know to pray for you. If you're online, maybe just you know, say, that's me. Some people will be there to pray with you. We just want to know that you're here. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe it's been a long time. You've walked away from it. You want to respond to this invitation to come in. I see that hand. Is there anybody else in this sanctuary? Well, listen, if you raised your hand this morning, there's some folks that are going to be in the back to pray out. I want you to go and see them. Folks in the back, I think you saw who raised their hands. Just, just kind of say, hey, come and let's pray together. They'll lead you in a prayer of receiving what God has done for you. If you're online, Some people will pray with you. Listen, my challenge is to the rest of us in here. Let's fill this place with people that need to know. Because it should be on our lips, but if if you're still struggling with what that looks like, just invite them into this place. I got a lot to say. I'll I'll help you with that for a while. But what about for the rest of us? Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've been intimidated about gathering together. You're like, yeah, I'll get to church, but you're more intimidated in your home than you would be in church. Maybe you're intimidated with a coworker. Maybe God's presence is a little scary to you because you know you got some stuff to deal with. Maybe you're afraid to, to lead. Maybe you need a a fresh touch from God to hold tightly to faith. You've been wavering in your faith. Wherever you are in this place this morning, or if you're joining us online, God is here to continue his process in the long game to make a kingdom of priests. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to set you free. He's here to enforce the salvation he's already brought in your life. He's here to grow you more and more into his glory in a reflection of who he is. should help you understand. So wherever you are at, whatever you need from him this morning, if you want to step into that role, if you want to say yes to his plans to be a kingdom of priests to our God, I just want to invite you to stand right where you're at. If you're home, you can respond by standing or just, you know, whatever you need to do. But let's respond. If you want to be the kingdom of priests that God has called you to be, let's enter into it this morning. This afternoon, actually. God, we thank you that you're willing to play the long game, that when we fail, even in conditional covenants, you remain faithful. You're so good. 
we just bless your name in this place and we repent for all the time that we have walked away, that we've pushed our priesthood off onto somebody else. We've been afraid of your presence or we haven't spent time thinking about how to motivate others and serve one another. Where we haven't held tightly to, to the faith or where we've even failed to gather together to be your people. And we ask you because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of your desire to make a kingdom of priests, to renew within us the identity of who we are, what you've already accomplished for us, and move it forward. God, give us the tenacity to actually make a move to to live how you've called us to live, to put your word into practice, to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in your people this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to sing this morning because we went a little bit long with my talking, uh, but we are going to hear from Pastor Joel as he closes.